0: But if you will go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, Uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to start in chapter three tonight. And uh, before we even go into the uh, scripture tonight, I just want to, since we're only a few days from April, I do want to ask a question, uh, and this is rhetorical. How are your uh, New Year's resolutions that you made back in January? How are those uh, coming along? Has anyone actually... Uh, finish strong all the way into April right now of your New Year's resolutions? Or are you like me, where you start off going, I'm going to lose just a little bit of weight, or I'm going to finish reading that book I started two years ago, and you just sort of don't even finish it? I think uh, for a lot of us, we're like that. We, We like to start out strong, but to finish strong is even harder. We like to uh, make these grand promises and make these grand moments of saying, I'm going to do something, but the actual follow-through of that is far more difficult. And so uh, tonight what we're going to see is that uh, the Galatians, they started out strong in their walk with the Lord. They started out with vigor. They started out with wanting to know Christ more deeply. They wanted to see, uh, see of His grace and sing of the song that we just sang, that He's a good, good Father. And they started out like that, but then... After a while, they they uh, get off, they got off the path, and now they're not even trying to finish the race in grace, but rather finish the race in works. And so, in Galatians one, we uh, so far just as a summary statement of where we've been. In Galatians one, we've looked at that God's pleasure in us is not based on our performance for Him, but rather we rest in the gospel of grace. So again, we looked at it in Galatians 1 about the struggle that we have with legalism, that we are all uh, made for a works-based mentality. That's what our DNA is is all about. We want to perform in our work, but rather the gospel says, come and rest in his grace, and that's contrary to uh, how we're made. And so Galatians 1, Paul was attacking that. In Galatians 2 last week, we saw that if we believe in Christ and claim to follow him, then our lives should reflect that. If we believe in Christ, our lives should reflect that. We even looked last week at the at the point where Paul even opposes Peter to his face for the hypocrisy that he's living. You know, we need to guard ourselves from that. And we also last week looked at one of my favorite doctrines, one of the doctrines that our church is built on, which is this doctrine of the justification by faith and faith alone. And then we need to rest in that and build everything on top of that. And so tonight as we begin our journey in chapter 3 of Galatians, uh, I want us to look at this idea of finishing strong as we zero in on just the first five verses in chapter 3. But uh, because the way that chapter 3 looks uh, begins, if you've if you read ahead, you'll know how Paul starts chapter 3, I want to give us a little context for why Paul uses such language starting in chapter 3. So if you will, uh, begin reading with me in chapter 2, verse 17. Just to give us a little context as we go into chapter 3, Paul says this, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I die to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Father, that your word is true. Lord, we ask and pray that in these next few moments that, Lord, you would be our teacher tonight, not me. That, Lord, I would decrease that you may increase, and that, Lord, by your spirit and by your power, Lord, you would begin to transform us from the inside out to be be more and more like your son. Lord, we want that in our life, and we pray for that. In Christ's name, amen. I think that we as humans are pretty smart, don't you? I mean, just think about, it, think about it with me that within the past few generations, within the past few generations, we have uh, seen more of the cosmos than anyone else in human history. We have created telescopes that can see into areas of the unknown that we can only fathom in Star Trek. In fact, for many of us, we have phones in our pocket that are more advanced than what Kirk and Spock had on the Enterprise. With those little flip-up phones, we have greater things than that now. We are very intelligent as humans. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? And yet we are also so foolish. <laughs> we, are, uh, we are just as equally intelligent as we are foolish. Uh, there are a few stories that I was reading this past week that showcase that. If you will, let me entertain you for just a few moments here. Uh, the Dallas police, they arrested an 18-year-old Roadway Express loading dock worker who tried to cash a check made out to uh, his employer by presenting a photo ID. Get this. As proof that he was indeed Roadway V Express. That's what his uh, photo ID said. So the Western Union clerk told the man, "Okay, Mr. Express, I'll be right back," explaining that he had to go to another room to get the money. He then called the police uh, to come get the man who was trying to steal from the company. It gets even better. There was a man in Minnesota during one of the most frigid winters of that state who woke up one morning and the engine of his car was frozen solid and he had to get to work. So, what was his solution to fix the frozen engine of his car? He needed to pour hot gasoline into the car. So, to achieve that, he took gasoline, he put it in a kettle, I'm not kidding and then put that on the stove, and then turn the stove on. Needless to say, he had a far greater issue than a frozen engine. He also had no house at that point. (laughs) Or better yet, one of of my favorite stories of all time. Uh, Stop me if you've heard this one. Uh, A sheriff in a small town in North Carolina had to go on a business trip, and so what Andy decided to do was to uh, leave the entire courthouse operations to a young man named Goober. And uh, it, by his name right there, that should be a clear winner that he shouldn't have done that. Barney was out on vacation. And so what, what Goober does, because he's still a mechanic, he, he still has to achieve things for the town of Mayberry, he decides uh, to take both what Andy's asked him to do, which is just answer the phone and take the message with his mechanic job. And so he takes a car, he takes it entirely apart, and then he builds it back inside the front in, in the courthouse, right inside the room. Andy comes back from his uh, business trip, and he goes, what is this? And Floyd the barber just goes into amazement of, oh, you should have seen it, Andy. You should have seen it. It was just a sight. It was just so beautiful. But we are foolish, are we not? We can have, we can have moments of great creativity thinking, this is how it's going to be done, and we're going to achieve so much, just like Uber, thinking he was being creative, and yet he was foolish at the same time. I'm here to charge everyone in this room, including myself, that while we can laugh at this foolishness, probably the greatest foolishness that can ever happen is when we claim Christ, when we who in this room claim Christ, begin the run of faith in grace and then think that we can end it and achieve everything by works. Let me say that again. If we think that when we begin our faith journey by faith, it is foolish to think just as much as Goober trying to put a car in the courthouse, it is foolish to think that we can end the race by works. And so this is what Paul has been addressing continuously through, chapters, uh, through, through the book of Galatians. In fact, Ronald Fung, in his commentary on Galatians, wrote that this passage in chapter 3 begins a major portion of the epistle starting in chapter 3, ending all the way into chapter 5, in which Paul is concerned to argue from a scriptural and a theological perspective the superiority of the gospel doctrine of faith, of faith excuse me, in the face of the false doctrine of works-based salvation that the Galatians are being swayed by. You see, Paul, over the next few chapters, is going to showcase what, what Ronald was saying there is his pastoral love for the Galatians. When we read this in our modern context, without truly understanding what's going on here, when we read, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? We're thinking, what in the world got up Paul's butt, right? Why would he say this language? And yet what we need to see is Paul has a very pastoral love for the Galatians. He has such a pastoral love that he's willing to discipline this church to get them from their mentality of works back to faith. It is just like when my dad would discipline me. I can remember it. uh, I'm not going to tell any stories right now. I don't want to tattle on me. But I can just remember the times when my dad would discipline discipline me. And there were only a few times that he would actually take the hand to me. But when he would discipline me, it wasn't so that he could get an inward glee of punishment. Ooh, look what I did to my son. But rather it was, Dave, I love you. And I want to bring you from this wrong path back to a better way of living before this wrong path gets any worse. And that's what Paul is doing here. When he uses this language at the very beginning of chapter 3, he is trying to get their attention and say, what are you doing? What in the world are you doing, church? You who began in faith, began in following Christ, in this moment where you saw the beautiful grace of the the cross, you said, I want that, I'm going to follow that in faith. Why then are you going after it now in works? And he's saying, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In fact, he's even saying, who has hypnotized you? Who would make you think that this was a better way to finish the race? So before we even get into the points that I want to get to tonight, I do want to share just a little bit of so we can fully grasp why the Galatians are doing this. Because I think we, we, we think we know but we're, we're in the 21st century. We're not in the 1st century Galatia. We're, we are totally removed from the social pressures going on right now. So if you will, put in your mind, we're going to go in a time machine here, and we're going to go back to Galatia in the 1st century. And we're going to look at to fully grasp why a 1st century male in Galatia would want to be circumcised, right? Because this is the works that Paul is arguing about. This is the works that Paul is wanting to say, this is not what saves you. And so if, we, if we're going to try to talk about that tonight, which is why Paul's writing this in chapter 3, we need to go in back and, and figure out in our mind why an adult male in the first century would want to be circumcised. You see, more, most likely, it was social pressure. It was social pressure that was pushing the Galatians to do this, given their identity as Gentile believers. Remember with me what we talked about last week. In the events of Acts 10, that Peter, not only realizing that bacon was good, but Peter also realized that the grace of Christ was for all peoples, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. See, this was a radical, radical statement in the early church, and not everyone was on board with this. Not everyone was on board with the fact that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but for all peoples. And so uh, this is why the Judaizers exist. This is why this group would follow Paul around. Wherever Paul went, they would follow him as well and try to stir up trouble and try to say, no, 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 it's not just faith in Christ. Rather, you also need Christ plus the work of circumcision so that you can get the full benefit of salvation. And so the Galatian believers who were young in their faith became convinced by the Judaizers that circumcision, this surgical moment here, was the key to finishing the race. To cross the finish line and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, they thought to hear those words, they needed faith plus works. And that's not what Paul was saying at all. In fact, in theological terms, what's going on here is they doubted they were fully justified by faith. standing free of all charges because God had declared them innocent. And so they were convinced they needed this act of work in order to be saved. And this is why Paul looks at the Galatians and declares over them, you're foolish. You who began the race in faith. Now, why are you thinking that you're going to finish it in works? Why do you think that you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, if you finish this race in works? Rather, the way that we started the race is the way that we're going to finish the race. If we started in grace, we finish in grace. There is no uh, zigzag line or 10-step or plan how to get there. It is only one plan, which is the gospel, which is the grace that comes from our Lord Jesus. And we respond in faith, and we remember that we are justified by faith and faith alone, meaning that we stand innocent of all charges before the Lord because Jesus took our place, because Jesus suffered where we didn't. And so because of that, we stand redeemed, and we stand in faith. And Paul will even say that he fears in chapter 4, verse 11, we're not there yet, but we're going to get to it. Paul even continues this pastoral love, and he says, I am perplexed by you. And even he'll say that I feel like I may have labored over you in vain. I can't think of a, of a worser statement that I could be given by one of my mentors, by either Bo or Steve, if they say to me, I have labored over you in vain, Dave. That would just break my heart if Bo or Steve said that to me. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatians where he's saying to them, I may have labored over you in vain if you think that works is going to save you. I am perplexed by you. Paul is saying this, if you rest in your works to save you, then Christ is of no value to you. Let me say that again. If you rest in your works to save you, if you rest in your abilities and, and what you can do, then Christ is of no value to you. And this is what Paul is pounding over and over and over and over and over again in this letter. It's not because Paul's a broken letter. It's because of the severity of what's going on here. It's because of what could happen to the Galatians if they go all the way into works. If the Galatian believers are circumcised then Christ, this is no value to them. Because what Paul says at the end of chapter 2, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we could be saved by obeying the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And it would have been a waste of his time to come. And so if we want to finish strong, which I believe each and every one of us in this room do, if we want to finish strong, then we must rely on the Holy Spirit's empowering presence in our lives. The law will never lift a finger to help us, but rather continue to pile up works that we can't achieve. And the minute that I think that I have it all figured out is the minute that I've stopped running the race of faith and I run the race of works. And I run as if I am foolish. I am like that man I mentioned in Minnesota who thought that he could uh, stir up his car that was frozen by boiling hot gasoline. I am that foolish. I want you guys to have that picture in your mind when I mention this idea that works. this works-based salvation is that it is as foolish as that Minnesota man. We need to remain in faith and run that race. Also notice, though, uh, in chapter 3, that the first time that Paul uh, mentions the Holy Spirit is in chapter 3. Up to this point, Paul has not mentioned the Holy Spirit and it's not that the Holy Spirit is of any lesser value. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God. He is of the same substance as God the Father and God the Son. It is not as if Paul is deeming the Holy Spirit lesser, but rather what he's doing here is he's he's saying that the Holy Spirit now, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, the Holy Spirit now is going to help empower us and help us walk in this life. And so now, as we look in chapter 3, we're going to see more of the Holy Spirit as we finish in the book of Galatians. In fact, I'm sure you'll remember the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at in Galatians 5. Paul is now uh, shifting his pastoral love by reminding them of who is helping them walk this walk of faith, which is the Holy Spirit, God in us. And so, let's turn now to Galatians chapter 3 and look at By what means does God pour out the Holy Spirit into our lives and see how God does this? And God supplies the Spirit, as we see in chapter 3, verse 1. God supplies the Spirit through the cross of Christ. God supplies the Spirit through the cross of Christ. You see, Paul takes the Galatians and us back to where it first began in the Christian life by hearing the gospel and believing. Paul says in verse 1, It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul reminds them how they encounter Christ for the first time. And notice the language here. He says, he says that it was before your eyes that Christ was public, publicly portrayed as crucified. It's not as if Paul pulled out his iPhone and showed a movie of Jesus being crucified. John didn't have that at the crucifixion. I can, I can assure you in my understanding of the, of the first century church, they didn't have iPhones. But what Paul is saying here is the vivid language that he used to portray Christ as crucified to the Galatians. In fact, he says it also in chapter 2 that, "...I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." So this argument that he uses in chapter 2 is that vivid language that he uses to the Galatians to say, "...I have vividly showed you Christ crucified. I have portrayed this to you, and in that you have believed." And he's reminding them of this. Can that not be said of us? If we, were to have, uh, if we have time tonight, we can share stories with each other of when we first came to Christ. And I'm sure that each of you, when that moment happened, when that light bulb clicked, it was as if something had just happened in your life in such a vivid nature. It was better than HD. You saw Christ crucified. Not that you visually saw it, but you heard it and you believed, and then you saw it crucified in your heart. That's what Paul's getting at here. And we need to go back, if we want to have it the, the pouring of the, of the Holy Spirit on us, we need to go back to that moment in our life and live in it and rest in it. Go back to the gospel every day. Every day when I wake up, I don't rest on what I did yesterday. I don't rest on the laurels that Dave accomplished yesterday or the faith that I had yesterday. Each day is a new day, and each day I need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. You see, God supplies the Holy Spirit in our lives by a fresh view of the cross. Therefore, we must daily go back to Christ and remember the glorious gospel that saved us and marvel that the Spirit of God lives in us and helps us walk in a way that is honoring to Him. Helps us walk. The Spirit helps us walk in a way that is honoring to Him. You see, some days are going to be harder than others. I think we can all attest to that. There are days where it's just going to be hard to walk this life of faith. Someday sin is going to be crouching at our door and there's going to be days where the sin has the victory, but Christ won the war and in that we rejoice. I was talking to a dear brother of mine earlier this week via text and we were both just sharing with each other the struggles that we have in our sin nature and how we just both just want the victory. And there are days where I feel like Christ. Uh, is just as more present in my life in that moment where I just, I'm begging him, Lord, take this from me. Take this sin pattern from me. Take this sin, mortify the flesh so that I may glorify you. And I believe one day he's going to do that. More than likely that's going to be when I see him face to face, when my faith becomes sight and I am made the way that he has called me to be. But right now I do struggle with sin just as that dear brother. But you know what the greatest thing is? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And he gives us grace upon grace. I like to say this. I, I think I might have shared this to you guys on a Sunday night already. But uh, one of my favorite understandings of that word lavish grace that he gives us, that John uses in his gospel, is if we give a two slices of peanut butter, or two, two slices of peanut butter, two slices of bread, and a jar of peanut butter and jelly to a two-year-old or three-year-old with a plastic knife. We don't give him a real knife. And we asked them to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now, how much peanut butter and jelly is going to get on the bread and how much peanut butter and jelly is going to get on everywhere else? It's going to get all over the kitchen. In fact, how do I know this? I was that uh, three-year-old. You can ask my mom. There was a time where I just wanted to make a sandwich, and it just got all over the place. That's the same way that God's grace does in our lives where sin abounds, where we struggle and we, want to, we want to mortify the sin in our flesh and we want to stop this because we want to walk in, in faith and we want to stop this sin nature, grace abounds all the more. And he is there, and he is there to love us and show us that grace. And so we need to cultivate a mentality also of confession of sins. Because sin abounds sometimes in our lives, we need to cultivate a a confession of sins in our life. Remember what Bo taught us uh, back at the beginning of the year during the Presence of God uh, sermon series, that our positional stance is, is secured, our positional stance with God is secured by the cross of Christ. But our relational stance with God is dependent on whether we have unconfessed sin in our life. That's why we have to have a daily confession of sins. That's why we do what we do on Sunday mornings when Bo leads us through a personal reflection and confession. Because we realize that we need to ask God to forgive us of our sins. We need to ask God to restore us, to redeem us, so that we can come before his throne and worship. And to, ha- to have a fresh supply of the Spirit through the cross of Christ, we need to confess our sins and ask God to redeem us, ask God to forgive us, ask God to cleanse us so that we may have a renewal of our mind by the power of his Spirit. We cannot grow in Christ when we have unconfessed sins that dig deeper into the soul. Sin disrupts the power of the Spirit in our lives. Sin disrupts the power of the Spirit in our lives. Case in point, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I love coffee. Uh, if you or go to my office right now, there are three uh, used coffee cups that need to be cleaned right now. I love coffee. And this is not a, a new thing in my life. I've been living like this for the past 10 years, and I'm not... Un- going to change. That's just how I'm going to be. But I remember uh, a few years ago before, um, I I don't even think I met Melanie yet. I was living with a good friend of mine, Jamie, in our bachelor days. We were both unmarried. And I walked downstairs. It was Saturday morning. And like my custom is, I make coffee and I watch cartoons. That hasn't changed much. And so I go to the coffee pot. I fill up the water. And I make enough for Jamie and I. And I put the coffee grounds into the filter, put that where it needs to go, put the water in the reservoir, and I flip the switch and I go watch Superman. Ten minutes later, there is no coffee. I'm going, what in the world? So I go over to the coffee pot, I'm like, what? I would see that it is unplugged. (laughs) Needless to say, Jamie and I had a discussion about that. You see, as his custom and his habit of doing was, once he turned the coffee pot off, he uh, unplugged it. I, he was afraid we were going to have a short. He, he lived in fear of that for some reason. But there was no way I was going to have coffee if, it was un, if the coffee pot was unplugged. The same is true of what sin does to us. You see, while God freely gives His Spirit to us by the cross of Christ, we can disrupt the fellowship by unconfessed sin. You see, confession takes us back to the cross where we see the crucified Christ and we see that our sin we, we see what our sin has done, and we gaze afresh at God's amazing love and receive a fresh outpouring of His Spirit. You see, if we're going to walk in this life of, of faith, what we see here in, chapter, in, in verse 1 is that we need to see Christ afresh again. We need to see Him crucified again. If we're going to have a fresh outpouring of Spirit in our lives, we need daily, almost moment by moment, to go back to the cross and rest in it. You see, the cross of Christ and the forgiveness of sins is the door that God opens into our sinful lives. So, what do we do then? What is our response? Well, we respond in faith. We respond in faith. You see, God supplies the Spirit in response to the hearing of faith. God is the one who initiates our encounter of grace, but we respond to this grace in a way that we just can't help ourselves you see this grace is irresistible this grace is so gorgeous and so beautiful that we have to run after it when we encounter it, we must go after it and savor it and seek after it just like we do a nice beautiful fresh cup of coffee that we just think that's just amazing you guys are going to know two three things about me i love christ i love coffee and i love superman the <laughs> i love my wife too might need a place to stay tonight, Bo. <laughs> so God is the one who initiates our encounter with grace. Let me start that uh, point over again. God is the one who initiates our encounter with grace, but we respond to this irresistible grace by faith. You see, Paul even asked the Galatians in verse 2. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let me say that again. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Paul says, Or by hearing with faith? You see, this is a rhetorical question that Paul is trying to get the Galatians to recall to mind how they first received the Holy Spirit. You see, for the Galatians knew how they had received the Spirit not by circumcision, right? Not by works, but rather they received the Spirit by faith. They received the Spirit by hearing the gospel and responding in that way. You see, God doesn't pour out His Spirit once, but it is in a continual gift of His grace in a continual gift of His grace. In verse 5, Paul also says this. He says, um, Does he who supplies, that's a plural form, by the way, the Spirit to you or works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see, that word supplies is implying a continual renewal of His presence in our lives uh, by His Spirit, by His grace, by His mercy. See, the Galatians began their Christian life with a hearing of faith. Therefore, this is how they must continue in the Christian life. And indeed, this is how they must complete the Christian life, is by hearing with faith. If at one point you think that your your works are going to save you, if you think that you've gone beyond the ABCs of Christianity, then you're in a works-based mentality at that point. If you think you've gone beyond the elementary gospel that saved you the first time, that hearing of faith, then you've gone into works and you need to you need to repent of that and go back to where you first began. You see God pours out his his relational presence in our lives the same way today when we are responsive daily to the word of the gospel. Note there there though there, there are two kinds of hearing, right? There are two kinds of hearing. There's the physical hearing with the ear, but there's also the hearing with faith. Only one kind saves. Only one kind of hearing saves. Anyone want to take a guess at which kind saves you? Hearing by faith. That's exactly right. You see, therefore, being religious doesn't save you. Please take note what I'm saying here. Being religious doesn't save you. Performing religious activities, which are works, doesn't save you. Coming to church every Sunday since you were five doesn't save you. Reading the Bible every day doesn't save you. Worshiping or coming Uh, to tithe or go missions doesn't save you. Because if you don't have Christ in the center of your life, if you don't have Christ as the key to everything in your life, then all you're doing is a lot of activity. All you're doing is a lot of work. And these things don't save you. Rather, we need to have the abiding presence in the Lord to redeem those activities. You see, if all I do is come to the Word and I just read it for the sake of reading, then all I've done is read a book. But if I read this with the mindset that I need Christ and I need a fresh outpouring of His Spirit, if I need Christ to help this day to run the race with endurance, then I'm going to leave worshiping my God and my Savior. And I'm going to see things in this Word that I didn't see yesterday. And I hope that I see things in this Word tomorrow that I didn't see today. And it's all all by His power. Therefore, beloved, we need to guard ourselves with acquiring head knowledge of who Christ is without gaining the heart knowledge of who he is. I've said this before that the greatest distance in life is 18 inches. The greatest distance in life is 18 inches, which is the distance between your head to your heart. You see, religious activity can lead to this mentality of head knowledge of Christ. You see, how can I I know that because I was that kid growing up in church. I had all the head knowledge of Christ, and I thought I could argue with the best theologian. In fact, if John Piper were here and my eight-year-old self were here, I would win that argument because I thought I knew everything. But you see, I didn't have a saving knowledge of Christ. I didn't have a fresh outpouring of the Spirit in my life. You see, we need to drink from the living water and feast on the bread of life, church. We need to abide to make our home in the great I am. We need to daily go back to him so that we might have a fresh taste of his presence, his spirit in our lives. If we desire the spirit's presence, we must be people who daily renew themselves in the reading of his word, by meditation and prayer, daily worship, and gathering with the people of God in the house of God to, to uh to worship our glorious God by the blood that has redeemed us. We need to do, and don't do these activities thinking they're going to save you, but we do them in response because of who has saved us. Gospel acceptance leads to gospel obedience. And we need to be, not be complacent and lazy in this. We do not live this life by our strength. We don't rest in our power nor our might, but by His Spirit, says the Lord, Zechariah 4, 6. And so to live this life, to have a fresh renewal of His presence in our life, to have a daily uh, walk that, uh, that is with Christ in the spirit of who He is, we need to daily go back to this, daily go back to the Word, daily go back to the cross, daily go back to my desperate need because I'm a sinner in need of His grace, in need of His presence, to walk and run this race within, with endurance so that I might finish strong, so that you might finish strong. So we don't rest in our works, but rather we rest in faith. Finally, God supplies his spirit to us by the cross of Christ and in response to the hearing by faith. But there is a third way in which God supplies his spirit to us. And I want you to see that here tonight. Notice in verse four, Paul says this. He says, did you suffer so many things in in, in vain if indeed it was in vain? You see, God supplies his spirit a third way and it's in the midst of suffering. Paul is reminding the Galatians of their suffering to help them recall the goodness of God's presence during those hardships. You see, God supplies His Spirit generously in times of great difficulty. The Galatians suffered trials of various kinds, hardships and persecution due to their new faith. God wasn't hindered by these moments. Catch this. God wasn't hindered by any of those hardships. In fact, he showed up and he met the Galatians where they were. He showed his power and his grace in in their lives during these hard times. You see, like the Thessalonians, the Galatians received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, verse 6. You see, in all these things, we often... uh, One of the things uh, that we often hear in the church is that before we come to Christ, before we, before we taste of Him and see that He is good, we think that we need to make ourselves clean. Have you ever heard that, that argument saying, I don't need to come to church because my life is not good. I got this stuff going on right here. It's very, it's very dirty. It's nasty. It's hardships. You know, whatever, insert excuse A right there. We often hear that, and we tend to think that the, that the Holy Spirit is not going to come into our lives because of that as well. But rather, God shows up in hardships. God shows up in the midst of suffering in a way that is just unreal. And he shows up, and he's real, and he's present. And the Holy Spirit comes in, and even though everything is not clean or okay, he comes in those moments in great difficult difficult seasons where darkness seems to hide his face, And when that happens, there is a greater and sweeter supply of God's Spirit in the midst of suffering. And so God shows up. He says, okay, you have this moment of hardship, but that's okay. Because sometimes what I do is I bring these seasons of hardship to get you to see who I am. I can remember great seasons in the past 10 years of my life where moments where I thought that that God's face was hidden from me where I didn't feel his relational presence, where I felt as if I was all alone, I can look back and I can say, God was there. I can look back in hindsight and I I can see God working in those moments, God working out my faith, taking away my workspace mentality and inserting into a life of faith. And in those moments of hardship and seasons, I'm being refined like gold and fire. And that's the same way with each and every one of you tonight if you're going through moments of great trial and great tribulation, if you feel like God has abandoned you, if you feel like you can't see God, if you feel like your prayers are just going back and forth, back from the ceiling down to the ground, just know He hasn't left you. You see, we don't serve a God who is distant. We don't serve a God who is in a far-off galaxy and has left humanity by itself. We serve a God who walks with us. We serve Emmanuel, God with us. And in one of the most greatest moments of all time, he condescended to us and he took on flesh, became one of us so that we could know him. And he was abandoned so that we wouldn't face abandonment. He was forsaken so that we would not be forsaken. And he took on our sin. And because he took on our sin, we then become children of God. Paul will even say that later in chapter 3 about the glorious nature that, yes, we're forgiven by our sins, but now we're also adopted into the family of God. Hardships are not something that should make us think that we've been abandoned by God. Sometimes it's to give us a sweeter supply of His grace, a sweeter supply of His Spirit. I don't want to belittle any moments in your life that you felt abandoned by God. But I do want to say that He is with you right now. And his spirit, his relational presence goes with you. Why? Why can I say that with such assurity? Because he says also that he will never leave us nor forsake us. It says in Lamentations that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That the Lord is good to those who seek him, to the soul who goes after him. That it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so when we feel abandoned by God, we need to remind ourselves that he has not abandoning us but rather sometimes he is working in the midst of those sufferings because God is a good, good Father, just as we sang a few moments ago, that his presence goes before us, who pours out his presence in our brokenness, and he loves us even in the midst of those moments. So how do we respond in suffering? We, we do so, we can either respond two ways. We can either respond like I just said by saying, God is with me, even though I can't see him, even though I can't feel him, his presence is with me. Or we can do like what the Galatians did and try to pull up themselves by the bootstrap and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest in works because I can't see God because I feel like God has left me and he's abandoned me. Therefore, now I'm going to go my own way. We have two options before us. Which option are you uh, struggling with tonight? I know for me, uh, within uh, Sometimes within the past few weeks, i found myself feeling as if I need to make myself better. I need to work my way back into God's love. Or I need to do something to make myself appear uh, far greater than I am. And those are works. Rather, I need to call to my mind, and this is just me confessing in my own life, what I've been struggling with in the past few weeks, is just like with the Galatians, I need to remind myself of the faith that once saved me and then walk in that presence and God will give a fresh renewal of his spirit. You see, finishing strong is not easy. Finishing strong is not an easy thing. We start with such vigor, right? And yet then something happens, we get foolish, and then we think that we need to do something else to fix that foolishness. But rather, finishing strong takes discipline. You see, our walk with the Lord can... Uh, can be just like uh, a gift that Melanie gave me two Christmases ago. Uh, she gave me a book for Christmas. It is, uh, I'm sure maybe some of you guys have that on the bookshelf. It's the Magnolia story, uh, the Chip and Joanna Gaines story. She gave me that book a few Christmases ago, and I got maybe through halfway through the book. I don't know if anyone of you like me, but I start a book off, and then I go on to a different book because I, I got bored with that book. And so two, year, two Christmases later, I still haven't finished it. You see, our walk with the Lord can be just like that. Where we start off strong with excitement over something new, something beautiful, and longing to see our friends come to know our Savior and then when things get difficult, we enter hardships, life gets busy and we are just like the Galatians. We start out with a faith and then we find ourselves working in order to be accepted by God instead of resting in the acceptance that God has given us in the gospel. Wherever you are tonight in your faith journey, let's just We'll end on this, and we'll I'll pray, and then we'll have a, a few moments of discussion. But wherever you are tonight in your faith journey, let's go back to the cross together. Today, uh, this Sunday was Palm Sunday, and I can't think of a better better week to just dwell on who Christ is. As we go into the Passion Week, as we as we come back Thursday night, and we have a moment of worship and fellowship on Monday uh, on Monday Thursday, and we take of the bread and take of the cup and remember what Christ did for us. Let's have a fresh viewing of who Christ is as a church. That way as we go forward, we are on fire. That way as gospel acceptance leads to gospel obedience, we then go out into the highways and the byways and we share the good news of the gospel, not in our strength nor in our might, but in the spirit of the Lord who has redeemed us and saved us. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy tonight. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, even though we start off sometimes with good intentions, finishing strong is hard. So, Lord, I pray and ask that for each and every one of us in this room tonight, Lord, that you would just give grace and you would give mercy. That, Lord, you would help us to have a fresh outpouring of your, of your presence with us by your Spirit. Would help us to not walk in our works, but walk in faith. Oh, I pray in the next few moments that we have that as we just share some stories and 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 rejoice and worship in that way, I pray that your presence would be with us there as well. That we would leave this place rejoicing over who you are and what you have done, because you are a good, good father, and in that we rejoice. In Christ's name. Amen.